Hey guys, today I sat down and talked to Brett Massey. Brett is a pheasant hunting guide. He has also got a couple years of experience as a deckhand up in Alaska. Uh, so those are the outdoor guiding world is something that I'm really interested in. So it's fun to ask him about those experiences. I really got to know Brett and his brother Lars out in North Dakota, spent a lot of time shed hunting, hunting, uh, whatever else out there. So this is fun. I really enjoyed it. I hope you do as well. Just a quick note I did want to make. At one point in the conversation, I mentioned that I helped out on some brands in South Dakota, but it was actually in North Dakota. Uh, just a brain fart. Just want to clear that portion of it. Alrighty. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Welcome to the Obsessed Podcast. I'm your host, Logan Herkus. In this podcast, we get to meet and hear from folks who are obsessed with a wide array of interesting endeavors. We dive into some awesome stories and look at the mindsets and the psychology of those who are obsessed. Let's go. Morning, Brett. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, morning, Logan. Yeah. You're welcome. Uh, here to have you talk about what I'm really interested in is some of your guiding experience. Um, that's a world that I've been interested in just from a bystander's perspective and you've been involved with that. So let's get into that. You've been, you've got some history up in Alaska and in South Dakota, right? Can you dive into both of those? Yeah, absolutely. So when I was a senior in high school, um, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I lived in North Dakota. Um, the oil field wasn't going to be for me. I knew that, um, just had some family in it and I just, didn't interest me. I wanted to do something that I absolutely love to do every day. And I love to hunt and fish. So when I was a senior, I was trying to decide, trying to decide, trying to decide. And I was like, you want to know what? If anything, I'll just take a gap year. I'll go to Alaska. So on the night of graduation, I packed my stuff. And that night I flew out to uh, Sitka, Alaska to go be a deckhand on the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. <clears throat> Was that no problem? Like, or did you feel a pressure that you should have been doing a normal thing at that time? No, at that time, you know, it was summertime. So a lot of my friends were, you know, working jobs that they'd worked throughout high school, you know, enjoying that last senior summer. Mm -hmm. So that, that year wasn't that much pressure that I was doing something that I shouldn't be doing. Right. Right. More that I was doing something that I really enjoyed and I was getting paid for it, I guess. Okay. So you went up to Alaska, your uncle Mike and a few other guys have done that. Did you go to the same place? Yeah, I went to the same place and that's a big reason why I think I was confident enough to go there. Obviously okay. I was like 18 years old, so I was really scared. Right. I've only been on an airplane once. Yeah. But knowing that Mike had done it and Dave West had done it and all these people that I know have done it, Lenny right. Torola, they had been up there. Yep. It right. made it easier for me to jump on the airplane and fly up there, I guess. Right, right. Yeah, you weren't going into uncharted waters by any means, but still a big adventure, right? I mean, you grew up in Michigan, uh, spent how many how many years in your in your later teen life did you spend in North Dakota? I moved to North Dakota when I was either 14 or 15. I think oh. I was, yeah, I was 14, so. Okay, and then just trying to put the timeline together, how old are you now? I'm 21 now. 21, okay. Yeah. So then that, right after you graduated high school, you went up to Alaska. Um, how long did you work up in Alaska? I want to get into the experience of that, but how long did you work up there that first time? That first time I was a little bit later than normal because of the uh, high school graduation is later than the college one. And mm -hmm. it was like May 29th or 28th or something that I got up there. And then I flew back on the 20th of September. Okay. 
Uh, and then that fall, was it that you were guiding pheasant hunters down to South Dakota or was it the next fall or how did that work out? No, it was the next fall. I took that fall. I came back and I worked at a sporting goods store in Dickinson and selling, you know, backpacks and binoculars and stuff like that. Right. Right. Okay. But let's dive into that. We'll eventually get into the South Dakota side of things that first summer in Alaska. What was that like? I mean, you flew in there first time on a plane. What was that experience like? Yeah, yeah, it was it was crazy looking back on it. It makes the things I do in my everyday life seem like small things because that was big. Yeah. Um, the Sitka Sitka is small; it's a little island. Mm-hmm. But when I got there, it felt enormous. I just felt lost. Didn't yeah. really know what to do, and I'll never forget it. I was getting off the air, off the airplane, and I was going to grab my baggage, and uh, I looked over trying to find like you know someone holding some kind of sign that said yeah. Alaska Premier <laughs> Charters or Wild Strawberry Lodge or something. And I was looking around, and I was kind of about to panic, and then I. Uh, it just like happened and I just caught eyes and I locked eyes with Katrina Ryla yeah. who lives here right. and she has worked up there. And I, that from that point on, I was just like, took a deep breath and it was like instant relief, you know, someone that, you know, right. picking you up from the airport. Yeah. And, uh, so then when I got picked up, I actually flew in with some of the clients and I didn't know that cause we were on a, you know, big commercial airplane. Right. And, uh, so we're loading up in the van and Katrina's driving us and, the clients have been up there for many years. They're some of the like best clients, repeat hmm. clients, and I actually got to know them the next year when I was up there. Okay, but they were telling me they're like, "Oh, who are you deckhanding for?" You know, and I was all smiling. I'm like, "Oh, I'm a deckhand for Johnny." Yeah, and uh, Johnny is the like the co-owner of the lodge, and they're like, "Oh man, you're crazy. There's no way you're coming back." You know, yeah. Johnny has that kind of <laughs> reputation to be to go the extra mile and fish in waters that are a little rougher than normal right. i guess you would say yeah were you th- that's what you ended up being then was a fish hand for this johnny guy yeah so i started yeah. off as a deck hand okay uh, right, right away so people start in like a like we have a processing room mm-hmm. and they'll start in there and then the next summer they can be a deck hand but okay. i you know grew up fishing on lake superior and had some experience um fishing out there so Teresa, our boss thought it'd be good if i started on the ocean so yeah my first day of work i was out on the Pacific Ocean, I guess. Yeah. And how many days after you flew in was that first day of work? Was it right away that you were out there? It was, it was, yeah, it was two days later. The first day out there, I, I didn't work. I was just out there learning the ways kind of with trust in Ryla. Okay. He took us out and we went, uh, I guess you could call it fun fishing. Sure. But a lot of it was, Hey, this is how you cast this kind of system, you know? And trying to take notes so the next day you could teach the clients that were coming on the boat the same thing that you learned the day before yeah but yeah uh that's crazy you were in north dakota three days before that or four days or whatever it was and now you're out on the pacific on the coast of alaska was that surreal to be sitting on the boat looking at the shores and whatever i mean it feels like that'd be a crazy thing yeah yeah it was it was a it was an unreal experience in itself but yeah it was it was crazy like the like wake up every morning and I was so sick I'd throw up in the toilet and then go to work because I was so nervous and I yeah. had I had a lot of good people I knew in my life that I was good friends with right and I enjoyed talking to them but I never really ventured away too far from that you know other than moving to North Dakota I never did anything super crazy where I don't know that many people and right now I'm fishing on a boat with pretty much six strangers mm-hmm. you know 
There's the captain who I don't really know at this time, you know. Right. Yeah. And I, everyone's just told me he's crazy. Yeah. And he does, you know, some stuff that's, you know, out of the ordinary. Right. And then six clients that you know, I didn't know anything about them at the time, you know. Yeah. Right. But, We're. <laughs> I'm picturing here you're, uh, with a youper background. The scariest part is the strangers on the boat versus <laughs> the, the rough seas or whatever else. You know what I mean? But, yeah, yeah. The ocean was actually pretty calm that first week. You know, like smaller waves, and I, yeah, that part didn't that didn't worry me that much. Not being able to see land, but the six strangers on the boat, man, that got to me oh, a little bit. Funny. Yeah. <laughs> Did that subside pretty quick? I mean, you're naturally good with people, uh, whether you realize it or not. Did that? Did you realize that pretty quickly? And that nervousness of the strangers went away pretty quick, or no? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They they definitely went away. Um, and it turned out to actually be one of my favorite things was the fishing was fun. And mm-hmm. The fishing was awesome, and I lo- like I'd probably get more excited about catching you know the big fish or helping them catch the big fish, and they would actually get excited about. But right. the people and the people I met and you know the person that's kind of scared about fishing or doesn't fish every day and then you teach them how to do it and then they hook into a 25 pound king salmon and they're fighting it all the way up and they're just smiling ear to ear yeah that's what really drew me to the guiding part that's why made me want to go back every time right okay and part of what the reason i'm interested in guiding is for one having the interest in that world like i i really love hunting and i've thought about being a hunting guide but i've always been interested in people i enjoy working with people and i my thought is and and i hope you can maybe answer this question is for you to enjoy guiding you have to enjoy working with people and that eventually almost has to be bigger than the guiding part of it really just enjoying the working with the people side of things would you agree like did is that a a requirement is to enjoy working with people or at least does it make you a much better guide yeah i don't know if it's necessarily a requirement but like what i always said is when people have asked me about it because i've had a lot of friends that when i come home they're like hey man how was that you know right was it fun was it worth it you know you're leaving home for however long is it worth it to go up there and go fishing and it's like you know the fishing is awesome and if you don't know nothing about fishing we can teach you that Mm -hmm. but if you don't know the people skills and you aren't willing to talk to people and you know hear their life stories and mm-hmm. stuff like that then then don't bother because you're not going to enjoy yourself yeah you'll enjoy the days when you get to go you know fun fishing with no clients but that's two maybe three times a summer right like if you don't enjoy going out in the boat every morning and you know introducing yourself to six new people every three days or two days or whatever it may be then then i would say that the guiding maybe it wasn't for you yeah. just because the people are what do it. Um, it's what makes it so fun for us. I think every guy kind of knows that they're good with people. Right. They enjoy showing something that they love to some new people that maybe don't, maybe they have the same passion. Mm-hmm. Maybe they, you know, a lot of people would say, Oh, I'm from North Dakota or I'm from Minnesota and we catch, you know, eight pound walleyes. And then you put them on a 50 pound halibut mm-hmm. or a, you know, 30 pound king salmon. Right. And just seeing that smile and being able to be happy for someone is, is what makes it worth it. So I'd say the people skills are definitely outweigh the fishing because they can teach you the fishing, but yeah. or the hunting. Right. Um, see the same thing when I was in South Dakota. Um, yeah. With the people skills outweighing the actual hunting skills. Yeah. Did you know that going into it? Did you expect that? Yeah. I, I think I kind of did. 
Um, I had never done any guided trips before that, but you know, I've I talked to people and I had talked to Michael. Yeah. And guys like that who have done it, and I think I kind of got the like the heads up that if you're a good people person, the fishing will come even if it takes you a month, month and a half. Yeah. The skills will be there to be a deckhand. Right. Right. Let's dive into <clears throat> the early days of being a deckhand, but also just what does a day-to-day life of a deckhand in Sitka, Alaska look like? What were you doing in the early days and did that continue on? And what did that daily life look like? Yeah. In the early days, you know, it's just like everything. As you learn it, you get better at it. You get quicker at it. Stuff like that. Yeah. So the early days, I wake up, I don't know, sometime, somewhere around that 4.30, 5 o'clock mark. Um, and then you'd... We'd go and we'd fill our like coffee thermoses and like a tea thermos and stuff like that and go load up the bait into a van along mm-hmm. with the thermoses and then the like your lunch for the day, which the ladies at the lodge would pack for us. We'd have to bring a cooler mm-hmm. um, to the van and then, you know, everything you need, ice, everything that you have to bring on a daily fishing trip, you know, we were responsible for. So we'd put it all in this big blue van and then you'd go in the lodge and look at how many clients you had that day and maybe eat a little breakfast and you wouldn't really introduce yourself at that point because you didn't really know who was who and then that you would take that van down all the deckhands would and would go down there and load up the boats captains would bring the boats around Mm -hmm. and we'd put everything on the boat and then you know get the lines ready so essentially that when the you know your crew got there this you know your clients they just step on the boat and you'd untie and push off and you're out heading out to the fishing grounds. Okay. How did the clients get sorted in the morning? Was it something that your boss handled or was it just? No, they, they knew <clears throat> what boat they were going to be on. Okay. So they would come down to the, they'd walk down to the boat ramp, like to the boat like area, waiting area, mm-hmm. kind of like a boat ramp. Um, And then they would, you know, their names of our boats were on our boat, like on it. And they would know we're fishing on the high roll or the bingo, full right. house, whatever, our, whatever boat they were on. Yeah. And then they would, so they would see your name and they'd come walking over. And a lot of those clients, um, which I'm sure Teresa and Johnny are very grateful for, they're all repeat clients. Yeah. A lot of them are. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of new ones, but a big chunk of them is repeat clients. So they would know already, like, they would see Johnny and they'd be waving like crazy and be like, hey, Johnny, you know? And they'd right. run over and, oh, good to see you. Good to see you, you know, and stuff like that. So. Yeah. Right. Did you, with a, I guess I still want to keep going along the track of what happens on a day-to-day life, but did you realize in that world, I picture to myself that again, the people skills is a lot of it, but to with, with that, what you're doing is creating that environment. You're creating that pot, whatever it is, like a positive energy, happy, excited, like you're giving them part of what they're looking for is that vacation or that break from their busy life and instead get to just be one of the guys on the boat for a week or whatever. You know what I mean? You, you're creating a, a bigger experience than just the fishing part of it. Yeah, for sure. I would say, you know, like knowing when to joke with some people and testing the waters a little bit and yeah, um, being there to help. I think that was the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. If you could be quick and you could get, you know, some guys tangled out was on the back, untangled fast and throw a new bait on for him. And, you know, he cast it out and right before you see the next line coming up on the bow that they have a tangle and you could get up there and be like, 
well, hey, let me get you with that, you know. Mm -hmm. And I'd always throw out the classic, well, I'm working and you're on vacation, so you have to let me do that tangle. Right. You just enjoy yourself. Yeah. And then, you know, you get people, well, I feel bad I'm tangling every cast. Well, here, let's teach you how not to tangle. Right. Try to let them relax as much as possible, um, enjoy it, mm -hmm. and be wanting to come back was the goal. Every year the goal was if you brought new people out to get them to come back the next year. For sure. The next year and stuff like that. Okay, right. <clears throat> so you, know, you, got, you all got loaded on the boats. You went out. What were you doing from there? So we would get out on the boat and we'd, we'd take off. You know, we'd be driving out there. Uh, all the clients would go in the cabin or sit in some chairs. Someone would take a nap pretty early morning. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would just be getting bait ready on the boat, making sure I have enough. You know, we use some kind of bait fish for salmon. Mm -hmm. And I'd make sure that, you know, I got enough of those make through the day. Um, make sure they're good and like firm in our brine. Right. Yeah. And then uh, cleaning the boat, cleaning the fish wash from the day before. Um, and then getting halibut leaders ready which are just a big circle hook that we'd load all kinds of fish stuff on to okay. try to attract the halibut in mm -hmm. and then uh once i got that ready pretty much just wait till we got there and make sure you know all the drags are set right so yeah when they got there hand them the rod and they're good to go okay and i've never fished up there so some of these questions might be elementary but how far out do you go typically well that just depends on the day okay um you know Depends on what you're fishing for, what you're targeting for. I mean, how wavy it is is a big, big factor in it. Okay. Um, but, I mean, you could fish three miles from where you left, or you could fish probably 17 miles from where you left. Okay. I mean, it just it was all over the map. On average, I would say you take what an hour boat ride. Okay. And that depends on what you're shooting for, and that depends on the, the conditions or the season or all the above, or how does that play out? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of factors that go into it. Okay. Um, where the fish are, where the fish are biting. Um, you know, if we have to go north, we always call it, through a north channel. It's a longer drive to the open ocean. Mm -hmm. Or if we're south and there's fish there, um, it's quicker, get out there faster. But the conditions, the time of year, and the choppiness or the waves just kind of that was the big thing that played into it. Um, if if you're out there and you poke your head around and there's, you know, 25-foot waves, you ain't getting out there. So no. you don't even bother. You just turn back around and go fish somewhere where you're in protected waters, you know. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> so through that summer, you said, or initially you said you were really nervous from the people aspect of things. That subsided pretty quickly? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'd yeah. say I, I felt like it was a week. Mm -hmm. But it was probably like a month that it took me to like get used to it, calm down, get the hang of things. And at first, I was not a very good deckhand. Like, yeah, I was. I was probably a, probably one of the worst. Yeah. Um, How come? I don't know. I just I never done it before, and I had a lot of guys that had done it before that they were comparing me to. You know, okay. Clients were, and I actually uh, we had a client who's uh he's actually an investor in the company. Hmm. And he would, so he bought the boat we were fishing on, which if you know anything about those boats, they aren't very cheap. Right. And he, uh, so he comes on the boat and my captain is telling me about, hey, they were taking out this guy, you know, so-and-so. He's the investor in this boat and he brings his best friend and they come twice a year. Yeah. So I had him with four other people, just normal clients. So I had six people and two of them were like, you know, essentially our boss's boss is to, to a certain extent. Yeah. 
and I was nervous. I was that was like that was like week two. Yeah. So I'd been on the water, and it was just enough for the adrenaline and the you know like the joy of being there and like just like the astonishment of this is Alaska kind of went away. Okay. And I was like getting to the point where I was like I'm getting to go fishing every day and I'm getting on this grind. Which was still awesome, right? But it was just enough for you start to get kind of tired, mm-hmm. and because uh, you don't get you don't really get that many days off for sure, right? So he was out there, and I remember I remember being like tired and and like nervous of him and trying to be like right there for him and helping him because I knew he had fish up there for years, right? And uh, by the end of it, he was like told my captain, he's like that boy will never make it as huh. a can, really, and that that fired me up, and, you know, it got me going. And so he actually made a he made a hundred dollar bet with my captain that I wouldn't make it through the season. Unreal. And because he came back in September and he was like, he ain't gonna make it through the season, and he is not gonna be a good deckhand. Right. And that whole time when I would feel tired or I would feel like kind of getting bogged down, I'd just be like, got to think of so and so because I'm taking that hundred dollars from him. You know, it yeah. just got me fired up about it. And then he came back in September and he was my last group hmm. and. At the end of the trip, you know, I was nervous. I was like, oh, I don't know how that went. You know, to me, I felt like I was doing the same thing, mm-hmm. the same speed, and nothing had changed. And previously to him, I had groups that absolutely loved it. I loved me. I loved the experience. Loved my captain. So this was, like, new. Right. I was like, this is, you know, this this is scary. And uh, at the end of the season, he caught up 100 bucks. Huh. Lost his bet, and he said, I sure hope you come back next year because I want a deckhand half as good as you are. Unreal. So that was like the, I think that was not just a turning point in my guiding career, but also in just life in general. Yeah. So. That's powerful. Yeah. 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 It just shows don't, I mean, don't, I mean, there's something going on, you know, and he just got on to me and yeah, it was probably good because I used it as motivation mm-hmm. and I was, I ended up. You know, he would say I could, I would fly fish too slow or something. Right. And then by the end of it, I, you know, try and do a fish in 15 seconds, 14 seconds. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm the same way. If somebody gives me any kind of negative feedback, I'm going to think about that. I'm going to use that as inspiration or fire to say, I'm going to show you, you know. Uh, so when you're telling me that story that really resonated, just thinking about the fact that in your shoes, I would have been the same exact way, like, screw you i'm gonna show you you know kind of thing but do you think he intentionally did that just to test you or did he actually believe that no i i think he actually believed it because it was like once a week and and you know this isn't normal because he's an investor okay so he's kind of you know like i said he's kind of like our boss's boss so once a week he'd probably call my captain i know he would because my captain would be talking on the phone to him and i would hear him say his name right and he would say oh yeah you know Brett did this, this, and this this week. You better watch out. You're gonna lose a hundred bucks, or hmm. you know, they would. He'd be, t- he'd be asking about me, and if I was still there every week, right? He's just waiting to hear that I wasn't there. Yeah, and it actually, it actually, I think made me a, definitely made me a better deckhand because people would be like, "Wow, Johnny, you know, he's he's inspired. That kid is motivated, right? You know, he's flying around here. You know, what like what did you do? Yeah." Did you feed him three monsters this morning or something? And he'd be like, no, you know, this, this is what happened. And he would explain it and it would, it would pump people up to see me that I was trying to prove them wrong. And I didn't just fold up and at that point pack my bags and 
at home because right that'd have been the easy thing to do right easy yeah. thing to do i mean i didn't know any of these that people any you know that well right now yeah the easy thing to do would have been to pack my bags and head back to the plains in north dakota and go find a job somewhere you know over there for yeah the summer but right so yeah this wasn't cut out for you or whatever but instead buckle down and make it happen eh? yeah did your confidence go up and up i'm saying from a deckhand perspective throughout that whole summer it had to have right oh yeah absolutely i mean and not just as a deckhand but as a person really okay i mean knowing people like they want to get your phone number they want to get your social media they uh-huh. want to you want to stay in touch right when you when they leave that's when you know like i did good you know i still have people that i still talk to to this day that i met up there yeah i haven't seen them in a couple of years right and they they're just pumped that they still talk to me and that's when you know, I that was like the point to me that i knew that like they enjoyed it they had fun mm-hmm. i did my job not only as a deckhand but as a you know people person right right absolutely i know what you're saying where if you're going to get into this you're you got a lot of low sleep nights you're working hard you're in the zone all day i mean it's a demanding thing right so you're going to reach the point where even if the activity itself is super fun you do get tired and whatever else did you get to the point where it started to feel like a job i mean it had to have at some point right start to feel a little bit like a job but did that take away from that whole experience i guess what i'm trying to get to or did it make you leave saying you know i don't actually like fishing anymore obviously not you're going fishing right after this but anyways i'm just curious how that played out yeah i mean probably by like I don't know, probably like day, day 15, day 20 Yeah. in a row, maybe even maybe 25. I don't know. It all becomes a wash. Yeah. Um, maybe it started to feel like a job, but I still would do my best to know like, Hey, these people just flew 18 hours. They, you know, they're, they're up here. They don't do this every day. So you mm-hmm. got to admit, put on your, you know, your best cap for these people and, you know, give them their, their a fair shot. Right. Yeah. And, it's still, I mean, I still, I would get excited every day. Yeah. There wasn't one day that I wasn't smiling ear to ear. Right. And yeah. every single picture that's up there that I'm in, that with people as, I'm smiling just as big as them, if not bigger, when they're holding their fish of a lifetime, you know? Right. Yeah. And and fishing's in your blood. I mean, your, your, your dad, your grandpa, your uncles, everybody. I mean, fishing's a huge part of your life. So that didn't, uh, obviously you came into it with a lot of, appreciation for it but and that didn't wane hey i mean you didn't end the summer you could picture some people ending the summer saying you know what i, actually, I don't really care about fishing anymore but that didn't happen no no and if anything it was the exact opposite so yeah i've been fishing for a long time um, yeah. with my uncle with my dad grandpa right um but as soon as i left there i left there on like a sunday and i got home on a monday and i was home for like two days and then i drove back up here to the up to go fishing with mike for the week because the cohos were in right so we want to go troll for cohos you know on mike's boat yeah so I, it didn't even it didn't even phase me i mean i i remember coming up here i remember flying into you know dickinson north dakota which is where i'm from and my mom and dad picking me up from the airport and they're like well what's your plan i was like well don't really got one but in two days i'm going to michigan to go fishing again yeah my mom just rolling her eyes like <laughs> come on you know you just you just fished all summer long right aren't you sick of it and then just being like no i just want to go fishing or yeah you know not quite hunting season at that point so right i want to go fishing yeah that's good to hear going into this whole podcast project that's part of what i was interested in like if you pursue that passion or whatever you're into would that taint that whole experience and make it where it actually 
doesn't, you don't like that anymore. The more I'm talking to people, the more I'm convinced that if you're that passionate about it and you like it that much, you're not going to lose that. You know, I mean, maybe after a, a crazy amount of time and oh, well, at that point, find a new thing, but I don't know, the more I'm in, more I'm talking to people like you, it just doesn't sound like if you're into it, you're going to lose that. And if you did lose it, you weren't that into it to start with. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've seen it not so much in Alaska because a lot of people come up there, but in South Dakota, I see it with people that, you know, it's not like they're like, they'll be like a farmer in the area and we're really busy. So we need an extra guide for the day or mm-hmm. they've guided before and they come down so they know the area they know where the birds are stuff like that and i've seen it where they're passionate about it but they're like yeah i did this for one year and you know it, it, it was awesome to say i did it but it wasn't doesn't do it for me and for me if it was alaska or south dakota it was every morning wake up and just be like tired but still know that i'm like i'm going fishing every day right and I mean, can't not be excited about that. I guess in my, <laughs> just in my blood, I'm always pumped to go outside fishing, hunting, shed hunting, right? Whatever it is, you know. Yeah. Uh, any other? Did you, how many? Did you go up to Alaska two summers, or how many summers did you go up to Alaska? Yeah, I went up there two summers. Okay. Uh, the second summer was, you know, I right after the first one. Yeah. And that summer was a little tough because that was when. You know, COVID was a big deal. Okay. Um, so we were still pretty busy, but not super busy. Sure. Um, definitely still, you know, full boats and stuff, but it was tough wearing a mask every day and yeah, being outside is is tough. Right. When it's hot, wearing a mask and we got to when we had enough people. We not like we didn't have that many people on the boat. We could didn't have to wear one, but we had to wear one when we were had did full six people or sure. five people and yeah. It was fun, but that, in that environment, the COVID thing, yeah, it kind of burnt me out on it. And it wasn't, it wasn't, the COVID overtook the joy of being with people. People were being nervous, being around you. and Yeah, right. But in the, the summer, I was just kind of burnt out on the fact that, you know, COVID did this to me. And I yeah. started to want to just move on from my life and just try to enjoy it. And that was overtaking it, kind of, yeah. I guess. Right. No, I can see that. I mean, again, the, the initial summer, a lot of the joy and what the passion is, is like feeling that shared excitement with your clients and that whole environment. And then just that scared clients and that setting. And it, it just takes away from a lot of what that natural, enjoyable experience is with the people side of things. But then how did you get into South Dakota then? You got your guiding pheasant hunters down there. Is that right? Yeah. So I, I'm still doing that Okay. Um, in the falls. Um, but yeah, so that last, that fall in between the summers in Alaska, I was looking for a dog because I did a lot of pheasant hunting back home in North Dakota. Yeah. And I found one in South Dakota and it was like, they're supposedly, you know, the best dog, stuff like that. You know, these ones are the way to go. And did a lot of research on it and I decided that, hey, I'm going to go to South Dakota and I'm going to buy this dog. Mm-hmm. So I went to South Dakota and I met this guy who sold these dogs who had the same thing with the pheasant did the pheasant guiding and hmm. i started talking to him about alaska and life when i was when i was picking up the dog and he's like if you ever want a job he's like he's like i can tell you got it you know mm-hmm. you've done this before in alaska which this is small compared to alaska's what he's what he claims you know right yeah but he's like if you ever need a job bring your dog back down here and i'll hire you on the spot huh. 
and I just kind of like, yeah, whatever, you know, he's, he doesn't really mean it. He's just trying to be a salesman and sell me this dog. Right. But, uh, so I brought that dog home and he's, he called me up that phone and said, Hey, are you still coming? He's like, I don't really want you to come. And I was like, well, well, I guess I'll try it, you know? Yeah. So the same thing that happened in Alaska kind of happened there. I loaded up in Dickinson, North Dakota with me and I didn't have my dog at that time. He was actually down there. And I was like, well, I guess I'm moving there. Yeah. So I packed my stuff and drove. It's like a seven-hour drive to the part of South Dakota where I was working. And okay. Started doing the pheasants down there. Hmm. What kind of dog was that that you got? So I actually still have, you know, not the same dog, um, but I have a different one. And it's they're just a lab and then a German short hair pointer okay. mix. Okay. So they call it like a hybrid. And yeah, they're definitely after using them for like two and a half falls now, you know, working with them and any of the dogs. Cause I use different ones every day down there. Mm-hmm. They're, they're hard to beat. Yeah. Definitely one of the best dogs I've ever more. Definitely. We have a lot of dogs that are the best dogs I've ever seen. Yeah. Do you use yours at the place where you work and you go hunt with your dog as well? I did the first year. Um, but when I brought him back home, he, uh, then I was working back home throughout the winter and he, uh, I was living with my parents at the time and yeah, he didn't like the house too much hmm. and I was working and so he had a little bit of separation anxiety and tore a few, uh, few, uh, things up and mm-hmm. mom didn't like that. So she said, uh-uh. Right. So I got rid of him and brought him back down there so I could still use him down there and I still had him down there. Yeah. But then, uh my boss was in texas and he had brought the dog down there to do some like quail hunting or they're hunting something down there and he just was like oh, i'm gonna bring him because why not and i was like because you know he was a pretty good dog i was like yeah for sure go ahead yeah so he brought him down there and he's using them using them and one of his in-laws or someone that he knows on there was like hey name the price on that dog and he's huh. like not for sale right not for sale he's like i'll write you a check right now how much for that dog and he told me price which was just substantially more than i paid for him yeah and my boss is like okay yeah well sure i'll call my you know my guide and see what he thinks but might work out so right it ended up working out that i said sure you know sell it to him and we had to you know guarantee that i would get a puppy this fall Mm -hmm. this last fall and uh so i could start over Mm -hmm. and and uh so i got a puppy now and she's six months old okay and uh that one is in texas living the dream with one of my boss's buddies and he actually is down there you know so i'm interested to hear from him when he comes back and always doing yeah right do you enjoy the dog side of things oh absolutely yeah, yeah. i mean i i enjoy the hunting and the people more yeah. but the dogs are i mean that's a close second i mean i we have so he runs a he runs a hunting business, the guiding. He runs a cattle business, and he runs the dog breeding business. Yeah. So every year we have twenty five to forty five puppies running around, hmm. and there. I mean, we see them since the day they were born. You know, and yeah. Uh, so I enjoy seeing that. I enjoy helping train the dogs. You know, taking them for runs and yeah. You know, taking a a wing from a bird and dragging it through the grass and hiding it on them and letting them find it, you know, or 
whatever we're doing to train them that day. Yeah. And uh, I enjoy that part, but I also enjoy the cattle part. I don't get to help out very often in that because I'm so busy doing other things, but every now and then I get to go round the cows up and bring them home. And yeah, especially at the end of the year when we're kind of slowing down and then later months, later November, end of, end of December, stuff like that. Yeah. I've helped out on a couple brands in South Dakota and stuff like that. Is that what you're talking about that? Or I guess end of the year, you'd be rounding them up to bring them to different pastures or what? Yeah. I mean, I have helped them in the brandings in North Dakota. I never actually helped on there, but just because it's more of a springtime activity. Yeah. But yeah, bringing them back to different pastures or, you know, to their home pastures, what they call it. Mm-hmm. So they're home for the winter when they can feed them. Right. And okay. that, I never want to run cows. I mean, I, I, I give ranchers and farmers a lot of credit. Yeah. They're a lot of work, but I just enjoy being outside with them. And I'm sure you see that branding too. You enjoyed just being there and mm-hmm. seeing the whole experience, you know, from a boy from Michigan. I never really got to see that before. No, right. The first ones I did were that I helped out with were unreal. Uh, I mean, you're out in the Badlands. I mean, depending where the ranch is, but the ones I helped out were out in the Badlands. You're on this, I don't remember, 5,000 acre ranch or 10,000 acre ranch, whatever it is. And you're going round up the cattle on these draws and coolies and whatever else. You're like, how on earth is this going to happen? But these guys know what they're doing. And somehow they get the whole herd moving to this one direction, round them all up and brand them and it's a, it's an experience for sure yeah I, I i enjoy that part of it and that's you know we don't get to do the branding part but the yeah. moving part is it was well, same thing it's just you're on this huge ranch and you know we don't get the badlands in south dakota where we do it but we get a lot of rolling hills and you know yeah. bigger gullies and it's like you guys are going to run down there and you're going to accept you're going to get all those cows together right and you're going to push them up that gully yeah right yeah and then <laughs> they go on there and it's like they've done it so many times together they're thinking one step ahead of each other yeah and I'm just in the back, you know, waiting for any stragglers that break free, which doesn't very ha- doesn't happen very often. But yeah. it's just cool to see it and be out there. And I think it's one of the benefits of being the guy down there because mm-hmm. I get to help out with that. Right. You know, because usually in South Dakota, I mean, it. I don't. Yeah, I don't know if it's ever happened where we haven't gotten our limit of pheasants. Yeah. I mean, it sometimes it take all day, but we can usually. I you know. Me and the other guide down there, there's actually three of us, but we can usually kind of communicate, hey, guys, what are we thinking? You know, with this weather, where are they going to be? You know, what should we do? Mm-hmm. You know, who wants to hunt this and how should we hunt that and stuff like that. So usually we can piece it together pretty good and we can have a little free time in the evenings to go round the cows up or, you know, I've helped go hunting with them, deer hunting down there for them and hmm. with them and stuff. Um, and you know, glass deer for them, which I enjoy. Yeah. So I asked you a little bit ago about the dog side of things. Cause I picture, and, and you could tell me this to be true or not. I, I fe- went pheasant hunting once I shot one pheasant, just, we had no dog, whatever. Um, so I haven't got into it extensively, but I picture if you were going to get into it, that the f- act of pheasant hunting is fun, but guys that get into it long term, it's because they really enjoy working with their dog. Is that true? Or, or is there people that stay pheasant hunters long-term and don't enjoy and don't use a dog? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm I'm sure there's people that do it long-term and that don't have a dog. Because, I mean, I've been pheasant hunting since I moved out there. Yeah. I, you know, not up until recently had an active dog that knew what he was doing or yeah. what he or she was doing. But there is a lot of guys that do it without dogs. But, uh, I don't know, I guess it's tough to explain. It's like once you do it with a dog, it's like, there's no going back. It's like fi- ice fishing with a Vexlar. Yeah. Like 
if you just go out ice fishing and you're just no electronics, don't know how deep you are, and you're just fishing in grandpa's spot where you line this tree up with that hillside and drill a hole right there. Right. Or else you get, then you get the Vexlar and you're like, okay, I'm, I can see the fish down there. I know there's fish here. Yeah. It's like a game changer. Like you, every time I go ice fishing, I want to have my Vexlar with me. Right. Yeah. Or, you know, my electronics on the boat or stuff like that. It's like, that's the same thing as hunting with a dog. Okay. Once you do it, it's like, how did I ever do this any other way before? Right. Like I have no idea why I didn't have a dog for the last four years, five years. And I had seen it. I had seen it with my buddies that have dogs. Yeah. Seen them use them. And I'm like, holy cow. Yeah. We need to get into that. <clears throat> What's the big difference? I mean, I, I, I can imagine what it is, but just the their scent, their ability to spot a bird you you probably get way more birds than you used to before what's the big difference of a dog with a dog versus without a dog well i think like the the huge thing like for when we're guiding or even just hunting by myself would be the dog being able to retrieve the bird okay half you know half the battle is after you shoot this bird or multiple birds at the same time because they'll mm-hmm. get up together you gotta try and find it right and long grass little cedar trees you know buck brush patches stuff like that boy it's it's tough I mean, yeah a pheasant isn't very big and to see it is can be hard and the dogs they smell it and they bring it back mm-hmm. the other major benefit would be like the dogs that we hunt with and this isn't every dog but you can tell signs in every dog, like a lab. You can see the tail wig, and you know he's getting pretty. Mm-hmm. But the dogs we hunt with are pointers, so right. they'll point. So if the bird is holding tight enough, the dog will be on point looking at the bird. And you you won't even see it. You have no idea it's there. Yeah. And then you'll walk up and get 15 yards and be like, all right, get it, get it. You know, and they'll jump off the bird, and the bird will get up, and you're like, how does that thing know that bird is there? Right. Like, if I didn't have a dog, I, I don't see that thing. That thing might run for the whole tree row and run out the end on us because the dog will lock them down. Because mm-hmm. a bird knows a pheasant, they're not dumb animals. Mm-hmm. Um, they know that if you're just walking and they don't have any pressure, they'll just run. Right. They don't feel the need to fly until you get up on them. Yeah. And they don't fly for very long. So they a bird knows that, hey, I'm safer to run and you see it. You, we, we see, we see birds run out all the time. Yeah. That's why you try to have, you know, your blockers or something to keep the birds in the tree roll that they're in. Mm-hmm. You put, you know, if you have five guys, you walk three and you put two on the end. Yeah. And that's to hold the birds in there or to make them fly. Right. And yeah. the dog does a good job at that too, because it catches up to the bird and then it locks onto it. And that bird's thinking, I don't know what it's going through its mind, but it's like, uh Oh, mm-hmm. this dog's on me. I'm not, I'm not out running this thing. Cause the dog will catch me. Right. And then it's like, well, then I need to fly. Well, then it flies and you're waiting for it, I guess. Your yeah. Waiting for it. Right. Might be a dumb question, but how does the dog know that the bird is there? Do you think all, he sees them or what? All scent. Okay. I think it's mostly scent. I mean, they'll, they'll pick up on the motion of it. You know, if the bird flying, They'll be running and they'll see it flying above them if they missed it. Yeah. Then they'll see it flying and they'll see it drop. Yeah. If we if we do kill it, um, but yeah, it's mostly scent. You know, you can you'll you'll see them nose to the ground, running through the bush, and it that to me is probably the funnest part is watching a dog nose to the ground the whole way, and you're like, there's got to be a bird, there's got to mm-hmm. be a bird, and then of course 
you get some people that think, oh, there ain't no bird there. And then the dog stops and he's just like waiting for you to get up there. And he's like, come on, guys, I, there's one right here. I know it. I know right. it. Yeah. And then you're like, all right. So then you get up there and sure enough, you know, two roosters jump up or whatever. Yeah. It seems to be a common theme with dogs, but would you say that they were just fired up to go out every day? Those dogs? Oh, yeah. Bird they, every morning we go there, you know, part of the daily routine would be to go into the our dog kennel. Yeah. And the moment those lights came on or the moment they seen you, every single dog in that thing was jumping up to the kennel door, like, pick me, pick me, you mm-hmm. know, and you're, because you can't hunt all of them all the time. Right. You got to pick, you know, you got to hunt three this day, three that day, three this day, and then go back to those other, th- the first three. Yeah. And it's just because we walk a lot. I mean, there's a lot of walking that goes involved. And if we're walking a lot, the dogs are walking way more and running way more yeah you know, covering way more ground so you gotta give them a break but they don't want to take a break they want to just go yeah so no that again i said it's a common theme but it it seems like it's an infectious thing or you like thrive on that uh energy that they bring to it as well or like you're waking up in early morning and also those dogs are pumped it just wakes you up and fires you up to go oh for sure yeah the just the joy seeing you know the dogs being happy to go or you know joyful to go and you know pick me, pick me. And they're, they're, I mean, you open that kennel door, let them out and they know they're, they're going Mach 10 to the bus to get on the bus and they'll mm-hmm. be laying in the kennel when you get there to yeah. be like, Hey, I'm ready for you. Let's go put my collar on and right. we'll take off. And then on that, on top of the same thing with the thing in Alaska is the people excited to be there, yeah. excited to go hunting, you know, people that have been there for years know what they're getting themselves into. They know, this is going to be awesome, but they're still happy. Right. And the people that have never been there before that are optimistic and curious and, but still just pumped to be, you know, I always say it and it's awesome. Yeah. Landscapes, but. Right. Right. <clears throat> so going into the pheasant hunting thing, I expected, or I expect that your confidence was a lot higher than going into the Alaska side of things just because you already had that Alaska experience or no? Yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah. The confidence was there. Yeah. Um, it was still nerve wracking doing it for the first time. Yeah. Cause I mean, I bring my buddies out back home and I bring my dad out back home, mm-hmm. but it's different. I mean, you know, them guys, if you go up there and you shoot two or three birds and it's like, Oh, well we had fun, you know, mm-hmm. but South Dakota, yeah, they might have fun, but they want to shoot. They're there to, you know, get some birds and bring some birds home. But so that, that part of it was nerve wracking. Like, Hey, am I going to be good enough to, get these people on birds and, you know, bring them home, you know, get a limit every other day or every day or whatever it may be. And that, that taught me a lot about pheasant hunting, you know, where the birds are at the certain times of day and yeah. when to find them and stuff like that. But Okay. So, but going into it, I expected, again, you had high confidence, but did you have any big lessons like that you didn't expect going into it? Did you learn a lot from the pheasant hunting side of things or is it mainly just uh, honing your skills on a people side of things and then also learning about pheasant hunting? Yeah, I would say it's, it was more honing my skills on the people side, Okay, but it was definitely a big learning curve on the hunting side. Okay. So you learned a lot about pheasant hunting. Yeah. And about being able to teach people, you know, gun safety and safety safety is our number was always our number one priority yeah um that was that was tough for sure being having to tell you know some guy that owns this huge company like hey guy you gotta keep your gun up or keep it in a safe position and you know make sure we're smart with our firearms and don't shoot that bird yeah 
and stuff like that. That that can be tough because you feel like you're telling people what not to do. And mm-hmm. I mean, I don't like being told that I can't do something or not be able to do something. But right, you just have to know that they're you're looking out for their best interest. Yeah. So. Did that get easier? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, by the end of last year, it was it was just a pure joy of being hunting. It was the guiding. This was second nature. Yeah. Like I, I woke up in the morning, did all my, you know, my daily routine in South Dakota, which looked a little different than Alaska. And it, it was just like, that's when it got to be the best. When you just, the guiding just came with it. It was just became a routine and you're like, awesome. I'm going hunting today, going to pick out what dogs I want. And I'm going to try this new dog with this dog and we'll just go out there and we'll have a great time. And that's when it became it, it, it's it's awesome it's it's an unreal experience to be out there and be hooting and hollering because we don't carry a gun right we're just picking up birds and holding our collars for the dogs you know making sure they're staying close and stuff like that so that was just it was awesome to see the joy of people you know in the wilderness walking through the woods and mm-hmm. shooting pheasants that and you're just pumped to be there and i i definitely get a lot more excited than they do yeah when they shoot something like a bird and when i see you know we get a lot of people that come down there as couples and you know the lady hasn't really hunted that much but the guy he's an avid outdoorsman and yeah he loves to hunt pheasants so he he shoots his limit and he's pumped and then the lady's like oh i only have one bird and then two of them jump up in front of her and somehow she shoots both of them and you're just yeah hooting and hollering for her and <laughs> I think I actually get make them scared sometimes. I'm so excited that yeah. they shot this bird and they're just they're laughing and they're loving it. You know, yeah, taking a picture, smiling ear to ear with the birds that they shot. Yeah, so that that part of it is is it it's it's unbelievable. It's yeah. crazy. S- same question to the that side of things. You, you I mean, you've been a hunter uh, or you've been engaged either with your dad or uncles, whatever, and hunted since you've been able to hunt. Has that tainted that experience at all? Like, do you think less of hunting or? or? Not even close, I yeah. would say. I actually think more of hunting now. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I've been hunting since I can remember. Yeah. Going, sitting, applying with my dad. And I'm sure he had to be really patient. You know, I'm shuffling my feet around. And yeah. No, nah, I can't sit. I wasn't sitting still. And, you know, dad's like, come on, let's, you've got to be quiet, you know, stuff right. like that. But, and then growing up, I, I've done it and I've hunted a lot and I've, recently started hunting different states and stuff Mm -hmm. and uh that that was that hasn't it's made me want to travel more to go hunting more yeah or fishing even with the fishing or fishing more right and that's right like last week when we just got back from lake of the woods in minnesota but i think if i don't go to alaska i don't go on the fishing charters and then we went to florida and i went bow fishing for a night and Hmm. i went uh deep sea not deep sea fishing but fishing on the ocean in florida with a guy with a guide in florida with huh. my dad and brother and that was one real experience in itself yeah yeah your your whole family has a uh and like a lot of people up here right so it's not super unique but it is fun fun to see as you guys just have a history of the outdoors one of my favorite stories or when i got to meet you and your brother lars i don't know if you remember this but i seen you guys at this at a family get together because you're related to my wife and you guys just met me and you said lars i think looked at me like you got a snowmobile like no he's like michael does i'm like (laughs) i didn't cut the mustard because i didn't have a snowmobile but his uncle mike had a snowmobile you know but i just since a young age that's what the world that you guys have lived in just 
outdoors yeah know? yeah i don't remember that i mean yeah. it does sound like lars yeah that lars. that's definitely <laughs> something he would say if anyone knows lars that's that's exactly how he would say it and yeah but we see it you know my uncle mike was a big part of my growing up for my love of fishing and hunting mm-hmm. I, mean, I remember going fishing with him on two in lakes and his you know little 16 foot boat and he would let me reel every fishing that he caught yeah and now his boy andrew he has you know three kids but his oldest is a boy and i think he's just about five or if not he is five but i'm the same way you know we're ice fishing and he was out there and he's just talking and you know everyone's ear off about how he loves fishing and everything and yeah you catch one and he's yelling at you let me reel it in yeah. let me reel it in you know or <laughs> trolling on the big lake and you, i'm reeling one in and he's like oh i'll reel it in i'll reel it in and he let him reel it in then he's yelling at you get the net you know yeah. get the net you, you can just see it <laughs> Michael's passion right. for the outdoors and you know I'm sure me and Lars have influenced him and my dad has influenced him some yeah that he just he's gonna be the same way he's gonna love every part of fishing and hunting because yeah he already loves it and he's five I mean it's just gonna grow I'm sure yeah and obviously as a kid you're gonna be into what your dad is into but it's almost genetic like you can't even fake it like uh went fishing with Mike last summer and Andrew was uh we didn't catch any fish. We got skunked and the whole way back. He's like crying. We didn't catch any fish. He was all sad, you know, but just so into it. Yeah. Know? Yeah. I mean, I don't get skunked with Mike very often. He's yeah. a, he's a really good fisherman, but yeah, that is definitely Andrew to a T. Yeah. And you know, it's sweet to see, you know, for yeah. Mike and for Andrew that he gets so pumped about going fishing. Cause if I was that passionate, I mean, I don't know. I don't think I was that passionate at that young of age. Yeah. Um, but Growing up, I was, and I, I mean, I went to Alaska and I went to South Dakota and I'm still going to South Dakota. So what's he going to do with his life? You know, I mean, he's, he's going to, I, he's going to do something that's going to be big. I can, I feel it. And yeah, he just loves to be outside and he always has. So, right. Right. Especially with Mike there, giving him all the opportunities. But, um, I'm curious, you said you're going to school right now for HVAC, right? Yeah, I am. Yeah. I'm to school for HVAC and I think that's obviously good, right? To better yourself and make a, a better future. And is that what that is? Is just trying to think of a long-term career side of things or what? Yeah. Um, I think that mo- I worked. So when I came back from South Dakota last year, um, I worked for an HVAC company in Dickinson. Okay. And I loved it. Hmm. I loved, you know, there was, it. it's related to hunting and fishing in a lot of ways. You get a, a problem and you have to figure out how I'm going to fix it. Yeah. Um, stuff like that. And I, I actually, I mean, I enjoyed it every day. Enjoyed my people, the people I worked with. So I decided that I'd go to school for it. And so I'm still like currently employed with that company, mm-hmm. but I still go to South Dakota every fall. And ideally someday when I, you know, when I do graduate next year, I'll hopefully be able to take a couple months off and still go to South Dakota Yeah, and go still be the hunting guide, but still work HVAC, but we'll see what happens. See how it goes, eh? But I think you should focus. Well, not necessarily focus, but I picture you thriving in a world where you have to, not have to, but you get to interact with people. So in the HVAC side of things, whether it's custom, like you're in sales or whatever else, but or even as a, as a technician, I mean, you, you get to deal with the homeowners and stuff a lot, and I think you can have that same fulfillment there that you're, you've got a lot of people interaction. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know that for sure. That is a huge thing i mean i i enjoyed that part probably the most actually was 
telling the homeowner what was wrong, yeah. telling them we fixed it, you know, explaining what we did, and then just then you know end up talking to them for a little while or something. Mm-hmm. And it's same way with school. Well, I have some really awesome professors mm-hmm. that focus hard, and I mean, I'll go in there and you know he'll be there, stay from seven a.m. to five, and he only has class from eight to two maybe yeah but he's super passionate about it so i'll go in there and be like hey mr water mr cooker you know what you know how can i solve this on you know this problem in the textbook or if i'm working on something in the lab you know hey can you come help me with this and they'll just instantly help me and i think seeing that passion and stuff and they're they thrive with that it's it's just driven me to even be even better mm-hmm. so <clears throat> The guiding side of things, you said you hope to do HVAC and maybe guide some as well. Um, Long term, I'm curious, because again, this is something I'm interested in is potentially maybe getting to the point where I did go out west and guide some fall or something like that. Even just a a bucket list thing, like let me go guide one fall. Maybe it would turn into a long term thing from there. But I'm curious, do you think you see that 30 years from now? Will you still be diving into the guiding world or what do you think? I don't know about 30 years from now. Okay. But yeah, I, I think. I mean, I, I'm still hooked on it. Yeah. I still, if, if I could do, if I could guide all year round, but stay local and mm-hmm. know that I could guide eventually, hopefully, you know, wherever I live and if it's Dickinson or if it's up here, mm-hmm. I would just stick with it. Yeah. But it, it's, it's tough to get into it. Yeah. A lot of people try and a lot of people fail. Right. So I give a lot of people props that when they own a business and they run it successfully, because it is tough. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, you're not employed for the whole year. Mm-hmm. You don't have a constant revenue. You right. Know, you're working, you know, South Dakota is a little longer. We can hunt from mid September and, you know, early October to the end of January, middle of January in mm-hmm. South Dakota. Right. And that, so that's a little longer, but it's still like, that isn't a very long, you know, you don't have 12 months of straight revenue coming in. And I think that's why you see a lot of people that do do the pheasant hunting, run the dog kennel on t- on the side, okay. try and get some more money coming in. Right. But it, I mean, it's tough business to get into as yeah. the, as a business owner. Right. As a guide, I think if you have the passion to do it and you love hunting, mm-hmm. then go do it. Cause it's, I mean, it, it makes me, a, it made me a better fisherman, made me a better hunter and it made me just a better overall person being able to talk to people and right stuff like that but so i for anyone that wants to do it i mean go do it yeah i mean it, it's unbelievable i mean it'll be scary at first but i mean you're not alone everyone right. else that does starts is scared you know and for me it wasn't even like i needed to get paid the pay was just a bonus right because I, I mean i was just doing in my eyes, just the best work ever if it was hunting or fishing. And that's why the fishing in Alaska is tough because it's so remote, so far, or not, I shouldn't say remote, but it's far from Dickinson, North Dakota, or from Houghton, Michigan. Right. So it'd be tough to go up there. And then it's such a big commitment. Mm-hmm. I mean, South Dakota, if I had a weekend off, I would just drive home. Right. But, you know, and that, that part would be easier with a family, whereas, like, you to fly home from Alaska for a weekend is just silly. Yeah. But three ways that I think you could make it happen. Uh, I'm saying, I'm thinking about you 
being a guide and having your own business someday. One is getting your finances in order up front. If you if you don't have a bunch of big overhead to take care of on on your personal side of life, um, you can afford to make it on less money, right? So that would maybe sink the next guy, then you can still make it and you're okay, really just budgeting out correctly. But also your people skills is what will separate you. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's for any guide, really. Yeah. Like, but, obviously, you have great great people skills. I mean, we, we bought a couple of cars from you and when you yeah. used to work at Saks Motors and Dickinson. And obviously, you're doing really well for yourself in real estate. Yeah. I mean, but it, that's not, maybe you're not the best whatever that you do, but your, your people skills are what makes you want to come back. And I think you'd be an awesome guide. Yeah. I appreciate that. I, I really think I would enjoy it, but I, I'm thinking along the t- terms of you is that if that's a dream that you have, that if you could guide your own, I really think you could make it happen by one, again, the finances side of things. Uh, two is the people skills will separate you. So you say it's tough for a lot of people. A lot of people don't make it, but a lot of people don't have what you have. That's people skills side of things that will exponentially grow your business and get it to the point where you can make it work. But the third side of things I think uh, I'm thinking about, and I guess kind of goes into the finances is being creative. Like, do you have other revenue streams? That's what you're talking about with the dog kennel side of things. Right. But also is it you do HVAC for four months a year on, on your off season, or you're, you're diving into other areas that you didn't think you necessarily would, or, um, you know, maybe some YouTube side of things and ad revenue or whatever, you know, I, there's, there, there's, I think there is a way that you could do that. If there was a way, would you really want to do that? I think there is definitely ways, and I think it's kind of what I'm doing. Okay. I mean, going going to school is an investment in my future for HVAC, for yep. sure. So I'm doing HVAC, but if you ask me what my job was right now, I would tell you that I'm a guide. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I'm like, I mean, I am going to work HVAC, and I, and like I said, I, I really love it. Right. I have an awesome boss, and uh, but I think, I still, I'm going to tell him like, Hey, I really want to do the guiding. And I think you'll be okay with it. Yeah. So, I, I would make that a priority. Yeah. HVAC will always be there. Oh yeah. And, and especially now there's, I mean, we have every, I mean, every time we're in, every day we're in school, I think that we have people come and talk to us to try and get us to come to work just because right. a lot of people that are certainly retired and they're trying to fill the generation gap, you know? Yeah, for sure. No, I would absolutely make that a priority. If that's a passion that you want to pursue, um, but is there an element of put myself in your shoes? Cause I'm the same way. If I'm going to do this, if I'm sitting in your shoes, I've got this grand dream that in, and maybe it's not super defined, but you know that that's where you want to be. But in 10 years, I want to be a guide. I want to own my own business. I want to be doing this. I want to be ice fishing this whole picture, but like safety mechanisms inside won't let you tell other people about it. Or you're just, you know what I mean? You yeah, don't, you don't no. want to put yourself out there and then have it not happen and people be like, Brett, why didn't you make it? Yeah, no, for that is definitely a big thing. I think that might have been the driving factor for me to even take the job in HVAC. Yeah. You know, I wasn't gonna, I wasn't going to, I was just gonna wait to go back to Alaska or, you know, so back to South Dakota or, you know, there was work I could do down there to stay, keep busy, you know, if it was helping with the dog kennel and, mm-hmm. you know, building some stuff for them, helping them put, you know, we're adding on to the lodge and stuff like that. But I, I think that was definitely, you know, the safety net, mm-hmm. but kind of what we talk about, you know, and I think that was the main reason I might've went into HVAC. Cause I was like, if, if I, you know, if I stay with HVAC my whole career, I'll probably be, I'll probably be super happy. Right. 
But if I go into guiding and I fall on my face or it doesn't work, I still have my degree, my experience to fall back onto. Right. And I mean, I have a cousin who uh, lived in North Dakota for a little while and now he's moved back, you know, back and forth between, you know, Michigan and North Dakota, which is a pretty common theme. Mm-hmm. Um, and his dream is to open a snowmobiling guide business right. in the UP. And I just tell him, I'm like, hey, you just got to go for it. Or, you know, you got, like, it's going to work. I can feel it. He's great with people. Right. But it's like, well, maybe I should take my own advice, you know? Yeah. But, yeah, I, it, it is tough. I mean, I'm sure he could tell you and I can tell you. It, it is. It's it's nerve-wracking to want to, I mean, you want to do it, want to do it, want to do it. But it's it's definitely a big risk Yeah. to just jump into it head first. For and sure. I, and I've seen people fail at it, so I think... Maybe I'm a little bit scared to do it, but I mean, I enjoy working for the people in South Dakota as much as if it was my own business. Mm-hmm. In fact, I act like it's like, I don't tell them it's my business, but I, but I want them people coming back to South Dakota every year. Right. And I've, and we've have a lot of it where they come out for the first time and then they want to come back. And that to me is like a win. Yeah. So. No, I relate it to. And maybe I do this too much on this, but I relate it to real estate and, and car sales, whatever else that there's a lot of people that try it and a lot of people that fail. So if you go off of everybody saying, Hey, most people fail, you're never going to do anything. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, for sure. Whereas if you've got that extra magic or whatever you want to call it, which I think you do that one, that drive, that work ethic is unbelievable, right? The, the people skills, you combine that all with the passion for what you're doing. It feels like there's no way that you're not going to make it work. Right. But if you listen to everybody saying, Hey, it's tough. You can't make it. You're not going to pay your bills, whatever else you'll never, you'll never pursue it. Right. No, I mean, it is tough, you know, when to do that, especially like you said, that people are telling you that kind of stuff is definitely, it, it, it's hard not to right take their, you know, like, yeah, I mean, you have a good point, mm-hmm. but yeah, you're right. If you're going to, if I'm going to go for it, I should just go for it. Yeah. But the, I think the other issue too, you know, and this is maybe even a bigger issue than that, you know, people telling me that it's, you know, a big risk is that I'd want to do it locally in Dickinson, mm-hmm. North Dakota, or, you know, if I did fishing up here or something. Right. But we just don't have the right habitat anymore really yeah. to support the number of birds. Right that we have in South Dakota, we don't have that number of birds in North Dakota and you need the land. You yeah. Know, you need enormous amounts of land to support it. Cause you can't hunt the same stuff every day. Right. And I, it just, I don't know if it's feasible to buy the land or to get, even get hunting rights on it is expensive, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's tough in that aspect. And I think that's why it's like, if you're born, with a family that has the land to do it, mm-hmm. then it's easier to get into it. But it's definitely that part of it is the, is a tough part. And I've, I mean, I've looked at land and I've, you know, you calculate how much it's going to cost and it's, it's a huge investment. It's insane. It's yeah. insane. Yeah. What about though? I could picture a slow and steady wins the race. Again, even doing something up here, for example, there's a guy, Uper outdoors, I think, or something like that, that guides in the UP. I think that's his full-time role, John Ron, or I think a, you know, you know who I'm talking about? I 
I know we were talking about because me and Michael have talked about him before. Okay, but I don't remember his name. I know he does do he does fishing trips. Right. Yeah. On Lake Superior. Um. So you could you could get into that world. He's proven right that it's oh yeah it's sustainable. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the fishing would be easier because yeah. no one owns the water. Right. So that part of it, but the hunting is what I love. I mm-hmm. mean, I love fishing, but. And I love being the guide, but I really love the hunting part of it, the hunting guide part of it. Yeah. But man, if, if you ever, uh, and I just cut you off, but if you ever had a, a hunting, a, a, a North Dakota hunting guide set up, I would come work for you in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah. That, that hunting is that, that's unbelievable. You know, yeah, yeah. It's, it's the deer hunting and everything like that is awesome. And the pheasant hunting is good too, but like I said, it, you would we would need a lot of land and it needs to be in conjunction with each other it needs to be you know close within a mile radius Mm -hmm. otherwise you know planting your food plots you know your tree rows and stuff they ain't really gonna work right Mm because you're gonna scare them out of there and then they're gonna fly over to your neighbor's land and they're never gonna come back over there you need to own the land that they're gonna fly over to right right so like that's why in South Dakota we have just like enormous chunks of land on there that's you know is dedicated to our guiding. You know we we have the either the hunting rights to it or we own it. Like you know our boss owns it, hmm. and that's the part that it's like it's cool to see. You know he his dad was a farmer. He grew up on a farm, mm-hmm. and he loved it, but he didn't. He wanted to do something a little different, so he turned it into a huge pheasant operation huh. and that's i think was what it would take to be able to become the pheasant guide yeah the hunting part of it but. right right so it might not be super feasible at least at first to enter in that world right. but again maybe different avenues the ice fishing oh fishing, yeah no uh, for sure that part of it would be would be easier to get into the ice fishing yeah or the hunting and i mean we've i've taken a lot of people out um in North Dakota, I, there's a disabled veteran that I met. And I mean, I've, yeah, I, I have the most respect for him ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, what he did for us is, is the reason why we can be here talking. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I tried my best every time I took him out to be like, Hey, you know, he loves the fish, but he just what not physically, wasn't able to do it. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, so I bought him out and he's just, you know, ice fishing mostly for him. And it just to see him catching fish is just, it's, it, it brings back the last memories, you know, yeah. just the awesomeness of it to see him smiling and so thankful that someone brought him out fishing and they, you know, he hadn't been out for a long time and yeah. he was just so pumped to be out there. And even just to be out there was a win for him. And then we didn't have a super good day fishing, but to catch a few walleyes was just above and beyond for him, you know? Yeah. For sure. Um, <clears throat> so again, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that you should be out taking a million dollar loan and diving headfirst into it, but just saying, if you're passionate about it and you're excited about it, I think just continue pushing on that. See where it goes. See where life takes you. Yeah. I no, mean, I, you know, I mean, I'm not, I have not lost it for yeah. sure. I still, even I, you know, I am in the HVAC industry and I, and I do enjoy it, but I, I, I still have that drive, right? And that passion. And someday I, I, I want to do it. And I, keep saying someday 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 but it, it, i know i will i'm gonna never gonna stop until i have it even if it's 
living up here doing HVAC and just having, you know, a boat that's, you know, average or just a little above average. And I take people out every weekend. Mm-hmm. No matter, you know, whatever it is, I think guiding will be a part of my life for, for years to come What in some way. Right. Some yeah. shape or form. I don't know exactly what it is yet. I don't know. I mean, the hunting part or if I just drive to South Dakota every year and mm-hmm. do it on there or if I do it, you know, maybe up here one day or whatever it is, but it, it will happen. And it, I think it's because I loved Alaska so much and I love South Dakota so much. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's absolutely benefit in the safety net, right? The HVAC side of things and working that and having that skill. But I just don't think you can let, <clears throat> again, there's benefit in it, but don't, my advice to you, because I could see myself in your shoes thinking the same thing is don't let the rest of the world hold you back. You know what I mean? They're all going right. to have their concerns for you. They're all going to have uh, saying you can't make it. You can't do this. You should be doing this. This is the conventional way of doing things. And that I I think what's cool is you've already proven you can pursue passions that are outside of the conventional way of doing things. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think you're right that I am not going to let people tell me what to do. Yeah. And I definitely, I was not pressured at all to say, Hey, my parents have been awesome. They haven't said, Hey, you need to get a job or you need to go to school or yeah. you need to do this, you know? And that definitely is able to help me go to Alaska and go to South Dakota and do all these just unbelievable adventures. But it's still, I'll still, I'm still going to do it at some point, like something. Yeah. And I don't know if it's going to be fishing or hunting, but it, it will, I mean, I'll, it'll be a part of it for sure. And a lot of it is my, like my dad, he, I mean, to move to North Dakota when he has three kids and mm-hmm. we're all in school at that time, middle school and, you know, still in elementary school, my right. youngest sister, my, young, my sister, my only sister, but my youngest. And to just pack everything up and be like, I'm moving to North Dakota. You know, that's, that's unconventional right. in a way. And I think seeing that and, you know, we, we've definitely, I've definitely thrived in North Dakota. I love it. I've loved the hunting, the fishing, the people I've met yeah. have just been unbelievable. I mean, we wouldn't be sitting here if I didn't move to North Dakota, probably. No, right. That's how we got to know each other, right. really, right? Yeah. So that that part of it has just been awesome. And I think that's what started my passion for it. And I think I still continue that same passion as the day I moved out there. That mm-hmm. I want to go Alaska. I want to go South Dakota. I want to do, you know, fishing or hunting, whatever it is somewhere either if it's south dakota or if i you know if i can rent you know an old farmer's land in north dickinson north dakota yeah and run it for them you know, but as a pheasant guide or something but i'm still keeping my options open and i think that's why hvac came into the into play is to have my options there and to know that i have i can have steady income if i choose it mm-hmm. right no i didn't i guess i i should clarify too i didn't think that you are losing that passion or you're planning on getting out of it. But I just felt like maybe, uh, being myself being in your shoes, I could use a reminder like, Hey, lean in on this. Like this stuff is awesome. There's not an age where all of a sudden you have to start being in a, uh, you know, again, a conventional adult, uh, or there's not a point in time where all of a sudden you're not allowed to do this anymore. You know what I mean? No, right. No, for sure. Not. And I, I don't feel like, I mean, that doesn't bother me, you know, yeah. having that safety net i don't need that right. right i mean i don't have any problem taking a risk yeah 
And it, I learned that from flying to Alaska when you're 18 and mm-hmm. driving to South Dakota when you're 19 by yourself and not really sure what you're getting yourself into. Right, right. <clears throat> I want to close two things. One is any advice to anybody else that's thinking about getting into guiding? And you can answer these either direction. But then two is just any fun stories, favorite stories, crazy things that happened, Alaska, South Dakota. So two sides, whichever avenue you want to get into advice first. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we're getting advice first. And I think the biggest advice is like what we've been saying this whole time. Yeah. Like if you think you want to get into it, but you're just too scared or you feel like you need that constant go to work eight to five every day, you know, 40 hours a week, whatever it is. And, but you have the passion to be outside and you don't mind being outside and you love to work with people, then just go for it. Cause it's, it can teach you so much as a person, Mm -hmm. as an employee and it can help you. Like for me, I, it made me into the, into an adult really fast. Yeah. Right. And that, I think it's, same to be said when you graduate high school and you go work your first real job. I think that's, you know, that's a big maturing process. But when you graduate high school and that night, all your friends are going to a big bonfire, but you can't go because you have to literally run home to grab your bags to drive, to go to an airplane to fly out. Like that was huge. Yeah. That made me grow up fast, you know? Right. And that part of it, it I mean, people that want to go into it, it's it's doable. I mean, and I've proven it. I'm I I was scared the whole way, mm-hmm. the whole flight there. I was I was terrified. Right. And the same with the drive to South Dakota. I was terrified. Yeah. Like I remember getting like driving to South Dakota and being like fifteen to twenty minutes away and just being like sick to my stomach, yeah. like, having to pull over and being like, <laughs> "Am I really doing this?" Right. And then same when I landed in Alaska. I remember just being like, like I've talked before. I guess when I, before I seen Katrina the first time, I was like. Oh, this is this is this is terrifying, mm-hmm. you know? but it's doable for sure. So, yeah. if you want to do it and you have the passion, I mean, there's no time like the present, yeah, really. And we've seen I've seen it get better with the whole COVID. It's gotten better, yeah, starting to kind of die down, and people are starting to go back on those trips. Mm-hmm. So it's starting to get busy again. So it's a great time to go, yeah. And then, uh, I guess for like a story would be actually happened to me personally but we were out fishing one day well, our group canceled like last minute we didn't know so we took some like staff people fishing that day and i was on day like i was working a lot of days in a row and i was tired and i was like telling my captain I was like let's just sleep in you know like mm-hmm. let's just not go we don't need to go and let's just take a day off and we'll hit it hard tomorrow and he's like no let's go fishing and stay on the grinds all right, well, then obviously it didn't take me long to say, okay, let's go fishing. Yeah. So we go fishing, and then we have, I think there was like five of us on the boat, and we drive out to the spot, and we're fishing, and we started catching a few salmon and a few halibut, and we're having a good time. And it ended up being like all day, I was just like, this is awesome. Why was I ever even doubting this? And uh, at right when I thought that point, I was like, why am I even doubting this? This is awesome to be out here why would i ever even say no right and it wasn't like five minutes later i caught the biggest halibut of my life that was like made around 80 inches and weighed 220 pounds huh. fish bigger than you you know and yeah they're just like man that that, that ain't a sign that i don't know what is like right just 
why why ever even think about it just go for it you know yeah but that was just the part to me that was like that just was the part that sealed it was like man this is awesome fishing or you know i've had stories just like that i mean i could go all day long yeah stories about even the hunting then there's awesome things that have happened you know Mm -hmm. and it's like i ever even doubt it i should this is awesome you know i love what i'm doing laughing all day long and you're getting paid for it yeah just unbelievable experience but right right i told you that was my last two questions but one more when you got into the alaska side of things you were warned about johnny your captain but was he i get the impression it went well oh yeah he was definitely out of the ordinary okay but uh i don't know why but we kind of clicked yeah and uh yeah it was ended up being a good experience i mean he was goofy and there was many times when he got on my nerves yeah but i mean i'm sure i got on his nerves right you're two people working together every single day on yeah. this boat right so there was times he got on my nerves but there was time i got on his nerves and but there was many good experiences we were both laughing and having a good time um yeah i mean anyone that knows him knows exactly what i'm talking about yeah but yeah it was definitely warned about him but it definitely went well yes yeah. it, it was an awesome experience yeah and i think i, I I tie that back into you. Of course, it's a two-way street, right? You both have to work together, but I, I'm, I'm betting a lot of that has to do with just your drive and your attitude and your desire that that's why it went well. Right, making the most of every situation, you know, trying to look at the positive of every part of it. Right. That's That was a big thing, you know. If something bad happened, but something good came out of it, let's not focus on the bad part. Let's focus on the good part. If we lost a big fish at the boat because I missed it with the net or... Mm-hmm he missed it with the net let's let's not worry about you know that part of it let's let's focus on getting the line back down there and we got it to the boat now let's just land it you know mm-hmm. and there's many times that we got down and then but we you know persevered and then get just as big a fish to the boat and this time we are in sync and it works you know it's just yeah kind of kind of probably a part of life really i mean don't don't let the negative get to you i try and Stay on top of the positive, you know. Yeah. Live, live for the good moments, not the bad moments. Right. Don't make the most of any situation, really. Yeah, yeah. Well, Brett, I really appreciate you coming on. It's been yeah. fun. Yeah, this is awesome. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> hey guys, thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have and you feel so inclined, share this podcast with your friends. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen, and give us some feedback with a review. Until next time, thank you.